For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. An Ohio man found himself in hot water last week for crying bear to get himself a free ride out of the woods. Local emergency dispatchers in Kanawha County, West Virginia, maybe it's Kanawha, I'm sure you'll tell me, received a call from a man who said he was being attacked by bears. The man allegedly claimed that he had been walking for days, his phone was dying, he had a head injury, that the bears were circling him, and he was going to die. These bears are massive! I immediately regret this decision. The local sheriff's office sent search and rescue crews to save the man from his army of organized Bruins. After a two-hour search in which they requested a helicopter from state police, they found 47-year-old Christian Leonhart. First responders say the man was not bleeding and did not have any visible injuries. He apologized for wasting their time but said he was, quote, extremely intoxicated and wanted a ride out of the woods. Ancestry.com says the last name Leonhart comes from the words Leo, meaning lion, and hard, meaning hardy, brave, and strong. Christian Leonhart turned out to be none of these things. Law enforcement was not sympathetic and is charging Leonhart with falsely reporting an emergency incident. Big thanks to Jim Lane for sending us that story. This week, we've got wolves, ballots, legislation, mink, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was a little odd, not spent chasing elk this time of year, but I did manage to bag a couple of sage grouse, so you get a bonus snort report this week. We hiked all over Helen Gone for sharp tails, who I feel have left the really fun cover during a brief cold snap that put snow on the mountains here in Montana. I feel I did not find the sharp tails, because this touch of cold must have killed off a significant amount of grasshoppers, so they moved on to greener pastures, so to speak. 
On the way home, we pulled into an area that I had seen both sharptail and sage grouse in before. Starting our walk, we quartered downwind along a fence line for about a mile, then swung into the wind toward the opposite corner post of the CRP. CRP stands for Conservation Reserve Program, which is one of our best private land tools for wildlife. CRP essentially means uh, holding back acres that could be in some sort of agricultural production and putting those acres ideally into like native grass that is then held in reserve. Sometimes producers can graze the reserve ground. In times of drought, they can sometimes hay that ground, but for the most part, it is there to hold topsoil to the ground, mitigate market volatility, sequester carbon, and provide shelter and food for wildlife. For 2023, there will be 2.7 million acres of additional cropland enrolled in CRP, with 1.9 million acres rotating out, meaning that it will once again be able to, uh, you know, be farmed or grazed or what have you. We currently have about 23 million acres in the Conservation Reserve Program, so we'll have a net gain of 800,000 acres, which is a lot of dog walking. Anyway, I knew from previous hunts and e-scouting on the old Onyx that in between us and that corner post was a low spot in the field, probably an old buffalo wallow turned cattle pond that was at least a little bit different than the rest of the cover. When the bird scent is thin, snort tends to range, meaning she gets out beyond effective shotgun range, head held high searching for scent, similar to how a pointing dog would do it. This is something I have allowed as we've built up trust in one another. I almost always have her whistle around my neck and her fancy pants Garmin GPS collar has a tone on it, a beep that she's been conditioned to. A prolonged beep via a held button brings her back to heel. A quick jab gets her looking for me. When I see old Fuzzy Butt's head drop, her pace and tail quicken, I know the scent is picking up, so I give her a beep and hold my hand high in a whoa sign. Like, wait for me is what I'm saying. I close the gap and I motion her on. And just that quick, that fresh, snow-cleaned blue sky is full of relatively slow-moving bombers, the greater sage grouse, some small, some big. I pick a small one out, and it tumbles. Snort is on the retrieve, and as I start to meet her, a big bird erupts at my feet. I have time to realize that I have shot my back or second trigger on the side-by-side. Uh, did that first instead of second, and then I slide my hand forward to the first trigger and bag a prolonged pair, you could call it. One big bird, one small, equals one limit here in Montana. Snort falters here a little bit by dropping the young bird and sprinting to get the old one before completing her handoff. Sage grouse legs and thighs and fresh from the garden tomatoes, garam masala, piri piri, garlic, ginger, and coconut milk. Absolutely fantastic. And it was a heck of a way to end a weekend. Snort and I are starting to eye random migrations of cranes and Canada geese, but pheasant season is around the corner too. And if this bird thing just does not do anything for you, uh, if you have a hankering to hang yourself on a tree from like a saddle or stand on a platform, pay special attention to the meateater.com for whitetail week. Lots of awesome content coming your way from people who really know how to hunt whitetails, lots of great how-tos, strategy, and a few deals on gear of all kinds too. And oh my gosh, it's October! Holy cats, I'm panicking. I swear if you close your eyes, fall will just be gone. It's the most wonderful time. 
moving on to the wolf desk. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced this month that it had approved Colorado's plan to introduce an experimental wolf population in the state. This rule was granted under Section 10J of the Endangered Species Act, which allows the Fish and Wildlife Service to designate an introduced population of animals as non-essential and experimental. Colorado Parks and Wildlife had asked for this status because it gives the state the greater flexibility in how it manages wolves in the state. Specifically, it allows landowners and ranchers to kill wolves that are threatening and killing livestock. The state will still have to confirm that a depredation incident has taken place, but the 10J designation gives Colorado officials more options as they work to address the concerns of residents and landowners. Coloradans who oppose the wolf reintroduction plan are happy about this rule, and it's easy to see why. But the fact that the Fish and Wildlife Service approved the rule is more than a little ironic. The Endangered Species Act allows a 10J population to be established, quote, if it will be released into suitable natural habitat outside the species' current range. The habitat on Colorado's western slope might be suitable, but many would argue that it's not outside the species' current range. In 2019, Colorado Parks and Wildlife observed a female wolf in north-central Colorado that had traveled down from the Snake River Pack in Wyoming. Two years later, the agency confirmed that a male wolf was traveling with that original female. Later that year, biologists observed six puppies with the pair, and one of those puppies has been collared by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. This region of the state appears to be within the proposed reintroduction area, which means this is looking more like an addition than a reintroduction. But we kind of already knew that. However, the voters have spoken. Colorado hopes to have paws on the ground before the end of the year, and the 10J designation is a big step in that direction. Mm, jumping over to one of my favorite desks, which is the Mustelid desk. As many as 8,000 mink escaped a Pennsylvania fur farm last week after officials say someone cut a hole in their enclosure. State police are investigating who might be behind the great mink escape, and they're urging locals to stay away from the now wild animals. A local animal hospital is offering to take in any mink that are captured or found injured, but the vet says it will be impossible to catch all of them. It looks like the Northumberland area of Pennsylvania is going to have a mink population for at least the next couple of, I don't know, weeks, a month. This isn't the first time a company of mink have made a break for it. As many as 10,000 of the animals in the weasel family escaped an Ohio firm farm last year, which we covered in episode 187. More recently, about 3,000 mink escaped a fur farm in Wisconsin. Behind each of these escapades is an animal rights group called the Animal Liberation Front, or ALF. This is a loosely organized group of what you uh, may call eco-terrorists, and their members regularly engage in this kind of behavior. They say they received an anonymous letter about this most recent jailbreak from the person responsible. This person says in the letter that they were inspired by the ALF website. Quote, I saw your mink prison recently and was not impressed, this person allegedly said of the fur farm. When the cage latches were opened, the mink jumped out to experience their first steps in grass and mud. I hope most have escaped to freedom and no more animals are ever imprisoned and slaughtered here again. Whatever happened after I left, I hope it was expensive. Local media has already reported that traffic has slowed in some areas thanks to dead mink on the roadway. Not all of the furry animals escaped to live their best lives. 
in fact, I'm sure weasels can adapt better than a lot of animals, but uh, they still need to adapt really fast because they've uh, never been around anything that can kill them. Moving on to the legislative desk. I have good news to report out of Washington, D.C., which isn't something I say very often. Uh, Last week, the U.S. House passed the Duck Stamp Modernization Act on a unanimous voice vote. Under current law, when a hunter purchases an electronic federal duck stamp, that e-stamp is only valid for a period of 45 days. Once the physical stamp is received, it must be signed by the hunter and be in the hunter's possession while afield. The Duck Stamp Modernization Act would allow hunters to use that electronic version of the duck stamp throughout the entirety of the season. They would still have the physical stamp mailed to them, but not until after the latest waterfowl season has ended. The U.S. Senate passed a slightly different version of this bill, but considering the strong support in both chambers, I wouldn't be surprised to see this take effect next year. Now, just a real refresher here, one of the best things that you can do for wildlife is buy a duck stamp. A significant portion of your 25 bucks goes directly to our refuge system, uh, which really needs the cash right now. Hunter numbers are declining, specifically waterfowl hunter numbers are declining, which is the main revenue source. But everybody knows refuges provide not only a ton of biodiversity, but a ton of enjoyment for folks throughout the season. Fantastic bird watching, wildlife watching, etc. Not to mention uh, great fishing, and uh, there's some whitetail hunting in some too. Anyway. The reason that uh, the Modernization Act has come around is because that stamp is supposed to be affixed to something, namely like your license, right? But folks who travel can't take that stamp and affix it to another license. Also, are you supposed to just affix that stamp to like the back of your phone for all these states that do e-tags and e-licenses? That's the situation that we're running into here. So also, you know, the the fact that you got to sign the stamp is to prevent people handing that stamp off to another hunter, like splitting the cost of one duck stamp. But anyway, now you're caught up. That's the reason for the need of the Modernization Act. The only bummer is there's a lot of folks like me who, you know, buy multiple stamps every year, not because we're stamp collectors. Yes, we like conservation and helping out, but uh, because we always misplace the darn things. Anyway, buy a duck stamp. Even if you're not going to go waterfowl hunting, buy two. Give them out. Like, um, you know, stocking stuffers. Huh? It's the mo. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. 
You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Idaho Fishing Game is asking for the public's feedback on two proposals that would close portions of the state to shed hunting next year. In response to last year's severe winter, the Idaho State Legislature passed a bill giving the Fish and Game Commission authority to seasonally restrict the possession, transportation, and collection of sheds. Doing so would limit the number of people in the mountains during the winter and help animals survive by keeping their stress to a minimum. As we've covered before, when you bump an elk or mule deer out of cover during these winter times, that activity uses calories those animals may not be able to replenish, thus they cannot afford to lose them during a harsh winter. Idaho Fish and Game has published a short survey on its website that asks the public whether they support closing the shed hunting season at all, and if they do, which of the two proposals they support. Both proposals would close shed hunting next year from January 1 to April 14, but one would close shed hunting in the southeast region only, and the other would close it in the southeast region and the Upper Snake River region as well. Idaho residents have until October 9 to submit those comments. The Pennsylvania Board of Game Commissioners met recently and they discussed several topics that PA residents should keep their eye on. First, they're asking for public comment on a plan that would reintroduce American martens in the state. Martens are a small fur-bearing mammal, which is also a mustelid, that were once found throughout Pennsylvania, but were mostly extirpated through deforestation and unregulated harvest. Research suggests that they could be successfully reintroduced and that they would pose little to no risk to other species. According to the commission, the reintroduction plan can be viewed at the Game Commission's website and comments about the plan can be emailed to pamartin at pa.gov by November 15. That's p-a-m-a-r-t-e-n at pa.gov by November 15. 
The Pennsylvania Game Commission is also considering a proposal that would prohibit using dogs to hunt fur bears during the overlap of any regular deer or bear season. Commissioners say they have received an increasing number of complaints about hunters who use dogs to hunt coyotes. These complaints come from deer and bear hunters who say the dogs push and kill the animals they're targeting. The commission gave their initial approval to the ban, but it is scheduled to be brought back to the January meeting for final consideration. And yes, we have already covered, but I will mention again, the uh, situation in PA where uh, designated fishing game funds are getting hijacked. Uh, We got a lot more to talk about on that one. Short answer is, for those of you who have written in to ASKCAL at TheMeatEater.com, for my opinion, is don't let it happen. There's a lot of ways to support wildlife and habitat without using these dollars. You just got to stand up and demand it. Once these dollars move away from the game side of things, they're not going to come back. New Jerseys. New Jerseyans. Jersey folks. Congrats. The black bear season looks like it might become an annual thing. Earlier this month, the Fish and Game Council unanimously approved lethal and non-lethal means to manage the Garden State's bear population. Under the plan, bears in Bergen, Hunterdon, Mercer, Morris, Passaic, Somerset, and Sussex counties can be hunted for a week in October and again for a week in December. If the population management goals aren't met, officials will extend the season. Like last year, hunters aren't allowed to shoot any bear less than 75 pounds or hunt within 300 feet of a bait pile. The black bear saga in New Jersey shows that if states refuse to manage their animal populations, the voting public might not like the results. Here's looking at you, Washington. Staying in New Jersey, the state Senate is considering a bill that would legalize the possession of bear spray in the state. The New Jersey House already passed the bill by a wide margin, but the bill is now stalled in the Senate Economic Growth Committee. On the topic of firearms, a U.S. appeals court just blocked a California law banning gun marketing that is attractive to minors. The panel for the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals said the law was unlikely to reduce gun violence or the unlawful use of firearms. They said that hunting and sport shooting groups were likely to prevail on their claims that the law violates free speech rights under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. In June of this year, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill making it illegal for a firearm industry member to market firearms to minors. Hunting and sport shooting groups quickly sued, arguing that the law would effectively ban hunting classes and clay shooting competitions for kids. This latest ruling is a win for those folks, but it's unlikely to be the last word. The California Attorney General can still appeal the ruling to the larger circuit court. Up in Colorado, animal rights activists are trying to get a proposal on next year's ballot that would ban, quote, trophy hunting of mountain lions, bobcats, and lynx. The Citizens Initiative says that hunting these animals is, quote, inhumane, serves no socially acceptable or ecologically beneficial purpose, and fails to further public safety. The authors of the initiative say that trophy hunting is practiced primarily to display an animal's head, fur, or other body parts rather than to harvest meat. However, the actual text of the ballot measure doesn't distinguish between the reasons a person might hunt a mountain lion. Instead, it simply bans killing wounding, or entrapping any of the cat species listed. Once the initiative is approved by the Colorado Secretary of State, it must receive 124,238 qualified signatures to appear on the ballot in 2024. Once on the ballot, it only takes a bar majority to make it law. Just think, Coloradans, 
if this passes, everyone in the state could pay for state officials to kill these animals instead of hunters. Jumping north of the border in Canada, British Columbia is asking for public input on a draft grizzly bear management plan. Grizzly bear hunting has been banned in the province since 2017, but hunters are hoping they can use this opportunity to push the provincial government to reopen it. The Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia has posted a call to action on their website with all the details and link to the comment. You can find the page by visiting wildsheepsociety.com and we'll also post a link on the meateater.com forward slash cal. Moving on to the garbage desk. A Colorado black bear died recently from what biologists believe was a blocked intestinal tract. In other words, he died of constipation. Of all the ways to go. That's not what I'd choose. Remember this story when I tell you about my week next week. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a doozy. Anyway, what kind of belly blockage battered this beleaguered Bruin? According to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, its intestines were filled with trash. The 400-pound boar, quote, showed signs of infection and was suffering from a severe intestinal blockage caused by consumed human trash. A photo published with the press release showed a pile of wet wipes along with other garbage that kept the bear from digesting food. The bear was well known in the Telluride area and is believed to have broken into a home earlier this summer. Locals observed the bear acting strangely and called wildlife officials. They confirmed that the bear had puffy eyes and discharge from its eyes and mouth. They also noticed that the bear walked in a humped fashion and seemed reluctant to move, which indicated abdominal pain. The bear had previously responded to hazing techniques, but it wasn't having it when wildlife officials tried to scare the bear away this time. It bluff-charged one of the officers, and the decision was made to euthanize the animal. That turned out to be a great decision. A necropsy uncovered an entire convenience store worth of junk in the bear's digestive tract, including paper towels, disinfectant wipes, napkins, parts of plastic sacks, and wax paper food wrappers. Let's keep our pipes clean. Throw it in the trash, don't flush it. This plug of trash was accompanied by french fries, green beans, onions, and peanuts. Past the plug, the small and large intestines were empty of anything except expanding colonies of bacteria. Keeping trash away from bears and other wildlife isn't just about protecting people. The junk we eat isn't great for animals. But what's even worse is the junk that the junk is wrapped in. If you've ever seen your dog go after something wrapped in plastic, you know that they don't care too much about ingesting a wrapper here and there to get that sweet or salty goodness in their belly. Telluride has an ordinance requiring residents to secure their trash, but there's no indication that this incident is being investigated further. I'd expect enforcement of that ordinance to tick up in the weeks to come. Let your uh, VRBOers know what's up, okay? Moving on to the dough desk. Whitetail seasons are underway in states across the country, and some of those states are begging hunters to shoot more does. Listener Jeff McCormick sent me an open letter to Michigan deer hunters penned by Chad Stewart, a deer management specialist for the state's Department of Natural Resources. Stewart says that hunters in the lower peninsula aren't taking enough does to control the growth of the deer herds in many areas. The only year Michigan hunters took more does than bucks was in 2009. Illinois, Ohio, Indiana, and Wisconsin, by contrast, all typically harvest between 8% and 25% more does than bucks in a given year. Stewart says that most Michigan hunters go after bucks almost exclusively for the first few weeks of the season. 
If they get a buck, they might think about shooting a doe, or they might keep holding out for a bigger buck to come along. This buck-first mindset is a problem from a management perspective because the Orange Army in Michigan is predicted to drop down to 450,000 hunters by the year 2030. That's down almost half from the 800,000 hunters there were in the year 2000. Stewart also argues that taking more does early in the season will give hunters a better experience. Biologists say that deer herds tend to be healthier with a balanced doe-to-buck ratio, and healthy deer typically means bigger bucks. Taking does prior to the rut also increases your odds of seeing more action during the rut. If a buck has lots of options with little competition, he won't be as motivated to move and chase. With a more balanced doe-to-buck ratio, you're more likely to see multiple bucks chasing a single doe. Hunters worry that killing a doe early in the season will spook any big bucks in the area. While I suppose that could be true in some scenarios, I don't think it's something hunters should be too worried about. You might spook a buck tracking a wounded doe, but as Tony Peterson pointed out recently in an article on TheMeatEater.com, it's likely that buck will be back in its home territory within a few hours. I get why hunters want to focus on their target buck before thinking about a doe, but for the long-term health of the Michigan deer herd, it might be time to change that paradigm. And, take it from me, people are just more sympathetic when you're like, listen, I went up early in the season, but all I got was a doe, I got this buck tag burning a hole in my pocket, can I get the afternoon off? That works. It does. Bag of doe, go get yourself a buck later on. Jumping over to the mailbag desk. Listener Erica Higgins wrote in with a clarification on a segment we did a few weeks ago about mushroom identification, and it's a great one. I told you about foraging books written by artificial intelligence, one of which recommended identifying mushrooms by tasting or eating them. I mocked this as a bad idea considering how poisonous some mushrooms can be, but Erica pointed out, and absolutely 100% correct, that in some instances, the nibble and spit method is very necessary to identify certain mushrooms. In fact, it's in like a lot of uh, survival books out there too. Quote, even the most poisonous fungi in the world can be safely tasted and spit out. Mycotoxins require metabolization through the digestive tract, often damage to the liver is the cause of fatalities. So nibble and spit, as it's often phrased in mycology groups, is a completely safe and common practice. While I have found similar advice in foraging books written by real humans, the legal department here at Cal's Week in Review wants me to issue a disclaimer that I do not recommend the nibble and spit method. Uh, IDing mushrooms by appearance is the best approach, and it removes the chance that you'll swallow a bit of deadly mushroom by mistake. However, I found Erica's email to be extremely interesting, and it's true that mushroom toxins must be ingested and that death is often caused by liver or kidney failure. That's according to the National Library of Medicine. Big thanks to Erica for her email. And I'm going to tack an extra one on here at the Ask Cal desk. I found this fantastic because it also tacks on to the thing that I like to make fun of, which is uh, vegan foods that are labeled as meat. Aaron McCullough writes in saying, I completely agree with your position on naming vegan foods on, on you know, anyway, we already covered it. Uh, false advertising, right? Like you can't uh, call a pile of tofu ribeye steak. Anyway, Aaron writes in and says, I'm sitting in the woods squirrel hunting and looking around, I see shrimp of the woods, lobster mushrooms, and chicken of the woods. What are we going to do about naming delicious mushrooms? Got me there, Aaron. Those are delicious mushrooms, and I wouldn't change a thing about them. 
That's all I got for you this week. Thank you so much for writing in. Remember, write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askhal at meateater.com And let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. I'm sure the colors are changing. I know they are staring out my window. So let's keep the conversation flowing. On top of that, don't get stuck on some old logging road because a windstorm came up and knocked down a bunch of timber. Go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local, knowledgeable steel dealer near you. Get yourself a clean, quiet, battery-operated chainsaw or, you know, a rip-roaring, computer-chipped, buck-up, a ton of wood, fast, gas-powered machine. Steel power equipment. Number one name in chainsaws, man. Make it happen. That's all I got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Be safe out there in the woods. Be courteous. And above all, get outside. Thanks again. I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel, gum, and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.